You good? All right. All right, guys. Um, if you got your Bible, I, I want to begin uh, at Isaiah 62.4. We're ultimately going to go to uh, 1 Kings and then to 2 Samuel. Um, if you were here this morning, uh, well, one, I'm not supposed to be preaching tonight, but Brett got sick, so I had to fill in just at the last minute. And so I wanted to do something that was tied to this morning, since, as I said, my thoughts, perhaps your thoughts are still there, on how to overcome spiritual laziness, how to get off enchanted ground. And so uh, on, the, on the heels of that, I thought let's talk about um, how to get to Beulah land. Uh, and, of course, that comes from Pilgrim's Progress as well. After Christian and Hopeful uh, found themselves uh, off of enchanted ground, um, before they crossed the river and then ultimately to the celestial city, they found themselves in Beulah land which was this place of um, peace and rest, a bit of golden years, so to speak, in, their, in the, uh, the maturity of their Christian life. Um, so if you're looking for a title, it's uh, Heading to or Getting to Beulah Land. Another title is um, How to Guard Your Heart in Your Old Age. Um, because we are ultimately going to look at Solomon and even David how they, uh, in their old age, uh, yes, they ultimately got to, um, at least David, we believe, I'm not sure about Saul, uh, to the celestial city. They, they kind of messed up in their old age. And so they didn't really uh, see a time of Beulah land, uh, as far as we know it. And uh, I thought, well, let's, do, let's look at that. Let's look at how, as we grow older in the Christian life, that we don't come, become complacent that pride doesn't kick in, we're not presumptuous, uh, and guarding our heart so that we're not spiritually lazy and we finish well. Does that make sense? Now, I have you begin at Isaiah 62.4 because Bunyan, in calling it Beulah Land, is actually taking it from this verse. Isaiah 62.4, you will no longer be called deserted and your land will not be called desolate. Instead, you will be called my delight is in her, and your land, and the Christian Standard Bible here has married. But the, the Hebrew is actually Beulah. Does anybody have Beulah in their translation? Yeah. Um, instead, you will be called, my delight is in her, and your land, Beulah. For the Lord delights in you, and your land will be married. And so this is a time, Isaiah is saying, where it, there's going to be an intimacy, a marriage, between his people uh, and himself in the land. So, as I said, it's going to be a time of, of peace and rest, joy, um, contentment. A little bit later, I'll, I'll read from Pilgrim's Progress how he describes it. But for now, turn in your Bible to 1 Kings 11. 1 Kings 11. Now, you know that when I'm up there, I, I, I have my Bible open, even though most of my Bible verses are in my notes. Last was it last week I preached and I had both Bible and notes and it was it was too awkward. I, we need to get a bigger pulpit down here. So you know I believe that the Bible should be seen even if it's symbolically that we're preaching from the Bible. But just for the sake of space, I'm just going to put the Bible here, even though I have the notes uh, here because it's just too bulky. Okay, everybody with me? But in First Corinthians, no, First Kings rather. First Kings 11, we, um, 
have a commentary on the demise of Solomon. Um, ultimately, in the end, Solomon comes around because we have Proverbs, we have Ecclesiastes. Um, and he started off well, but somewhere in there, and you would say perhaps uh, in his uh, midlife, he had a crisis, a midlife crisis, so to speak. Uh, and he found himself on enchanted ground. Um, Solomon himself uh, was backslidden. Um, you might even word it, he became worldly. And the question is, how did he get there? How did, we, how did he get there? And some of the things we said this morning will be repeated. But in 1 Kings 11, verse 3, this is where perhaps it all started. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. But this is the issue. And his wives turned away his heart. Everybody see that? His wives turned away his heart. And that's the root issue, and that's the central problem. Whenever we do find ourselves on enchanted ground and we find ourselves spiritually lazy and apathetic and dull, dull in hearing, dull in living, it's because something's gone on in our heart. The heart's always the issue because the heart is the mission control center. Remember in the Old Testament, the heart is equal to the mind as a man thinketh in his heart. Uh, so it, it's where it all begins. From the heart goes to the emotions, and from the emotions it goes to the, to the will. But it all begins in the heart, or it all begins in the mind. So his heart was turned, his mind was turned. You go down to verse 9. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel. And back up to verse 4. His wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. So just in the space of a few verses, um, the writer is making very clear what happened to Solomon. His heart was turned. You can blame the wives, but ultimately he's culpable, and so he himself led himself astray um, and went after these other gods. In other words, he wasn't loyal to God himself. You notice at the end of um, verse 2 how serious it was. Solomon clung to these in love. Now, I find that interesting. It's one thing to turn and give lip service to something, but his heart was fully turned and he loved them. That is, these idols. And the women, for that matter. So, uh, just on the launching of all this, the lesson that we can observe with Solomon and his demise and his spiraling down into worldliness. And again, just to keep the theme of, of this morning, finding himself on enchanted ground. The, the lesson for us is uh, he didn't guard his hearts and we need to guard our hearts. Uh, the Bible is very clear about that from Old Testament to New Testament. Uh, perhaps the one proverb um, that comes immediately to mind is Proverbs 3. Um, is it three? No, um, four. Proverbs 4. Guard your heart uh, with all diligence, above all else, uh, for from it flows the springs of life. There's, there's a duty there. Uh, and as I said, if from your heart, it's a mission control center. All the springs of life flow from that. So Solomon, at this point, finds himself on enchanted ground. He finds himself very worldly. His heart is turned. Um, 
maybe this is a midlife crisis. We don't know how, exactly how old he was at this time. Um, good news is that somewhere down the road he, he turned himself around because uh, Ecclesiastes is kind of that, uh, at the end of his life, autobiography of, hey, learn from what I did wrong, and this is what you need to do right. And, of course, sprinkled throughout the Proverbs are many of his lessons as well. But the, the, the main lesson, as I said, is guard your heart. Get and keep a sound heart, a wholesome heart, a blameless heart. Um, the psalmist a number of times mentions that ultimately is going to be the remedy for worldliness, for backsliding, for dullness and laziness. Uh, we said this morning is to find a good friend and talk, converse, have conference, talk about the things of the Lord, uh, the things of life, to encourage one another. But at, uh, at the same time, you're not around people all the time. You are you. And accountability ultimately has, has to be some discipline in your life where you are guarding your heart. There's also another lesson, just to, to, as we begin this, that goes hand in hand with getting and keeping a sound heart. Um, and that comes in verse 4. Yes, his wives turned Solomon's heart from the Lord to their gods. Um, but our writer here, I'm not sure who wrote Kings, um, he makes a, a special point. You can see there in verse 4 uh, of the timing of all this. Um, don't know exactly how old he was, but notice in verse 4 it says, For it was so when Solomon was old. But Solomon was old. Um, hence why I said, Part of a, one way of titling this message is guarding your heart in old age. Um, I mean, why did Solomon turn worldly in his old age? Why, why did his heart turn? Um, I mean, you could say he was in sight of the celestial city. Uh, he was almost there. Why? Why in his old age? You would, you would think in your old age you, you would be more mature. More godly, you've walked with God all these years. You've grown, the assumption is. Um, I mean, it seems a bit backwards. Most of the time it is the, the youth who struggle with worldliness, right? Uh, young people, the world loves them and they love the world and it's a real fight uh, against worldliness for the young people. The elderly are supposed to be mature, they're supposed to be godly. Um, really anything but worldly. And it's, it's sad, though, that Solomon in here is the opposite to that paradigm. Uh, we know he started off right and well in his youth. Remember when he did become king, uh, God came to him, and I think it's 1 Kings 3, where he came to him and says, what do you want? And um, he didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for a big palace. Um, he asked for what? He asked for wisdom. Uh, and, and that showed that he had some wisdom to ask for wisdom. He was the king, and if you remember the king in Israel, his primary responsibility was to shepherd the people. Shepherd uh, equaled king back then. The kings were shepherds. Uh, remember, a number of times God says that, he was, that kings were like David, a man after his own heart. Uh, David was a literal shepherd and then became a, a figurative shepherd, as it were, of the people. And so Solomon knew he needed wisdom to shepherd the people. Um, 
He had concerns for the temple. He wanted to build a temple. He had concerns for authentic worship. And as I said, he had a concern for the overall well-being of the state of Israel. And so he asked for the right thing. He asked for wisdom. And that all came in 1 Kings 1 through 10. But by the time you get to 11, something happened. In his old age, his heart turned away. And how many times did he write it in the first 10 verses? About three times, didn't he? So there's no mistake. When Solomon was old, again, verse 4, his wives turned his heart. And what did that bring? It brought upon himself the anger of God and ultimately the demise of his kingdom, right? After this, the, the kingdom was divided. So just to make sure we're all awake, and, and if you happen to fall asleep after this, make sure you get this lesson. That is to guard your hearts. That goes for everybody. But guard your hearts in your old age. Make sure you get to Beulah land. Now, just so we're clear, and, and before the young people perhaps tune me out, uh, let me get you, or set you straight rather, the, the steps for guarding your hearts even to your old age are not taken when you are old, it's taken when you are young. Did you get that? Young people need to be setting a pattern now so that they then see the fruit of it in their old age. I'm not saying it's never too late, even if you're old, but the practice and disciplining of any spiritual means, but certainly guarding your heart, needs to begin at a young age. Falling off the rails, having your heart turned from the Lord to the Lord doesn't happen overnight. Um, you know people that have, uh, you know, they say, fell into adultery. No, no one falls into adultery as if they didn't see it coming. In fact, it, I would say adultery is not the, uh, the beginning of anything. It's the end of something. It's, it's, a, it's been a pattern of not guarding your heart and entertaining sinful thoughts for a long time, and then the fruit of that is adultery. So it's a process. I mean, it might be a gradual process. It might be a, a spiraling down process. The seeds are sown uh, when you're young, but the reaping of the fruit occurs when you are old. So what are you sowing now? I guess you could stop and ask that question. And that's critical to know. What are you sowing now? You've probably heard it this before, and it's a truism. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. You ever heard that before? question I'm interested in is where does it all begin? And the answer is in the heart. It begins in the thought life. Our character in old age and ultimately our destiny begins in our youth and in our hearts, our thinking. You need to begin now, young people, and really for all of us, to, to, to start disciplining your mind to think biblically, to think God's thoughts after him, to take your thoughts captive to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, however you want to say it. We want to finish well. And when we finish, we want to say with the Apostle Paul, 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. But again, how does that happen? How do we how do we grow old gracefully as Christians? How do we grow old to a happy old age? How do we finish the race faithfully without a blip on the screen, without bringing shame and a scandal to the name of Jesus Christ? Or, as I mentioned in the words of John Bunyan, how do we grow old in Beulah land? Beulah land. Uh, he describes it, as I said, as the golden years of a Christian. Let, let, me, let me just read what he says. It's a little bit lengthy, but bear with me. Bunyan writes, Now I saw in my dream that by this time the pilgrims had passed over the enchanted ground and entered into the country of Beulah, whose air was very sweet and pleasant. Since the way went directly through Beulah, the pilgrims found comfort and relief as they traveled through this country. Here they heard the continual singing of birds, saw flowers uh, appear on the earth, and heard the voice of the turtle dove in the land, in this country, the sun shone night and day. Beulah was beyond the valley of the shadow of death and also out of the reach of giant despair. Nor could they so or see Doubting Castle from this place. Here they were within the sight of celestial city to which they were going. And I love this. They also met some of the inhabitants of this country for in this land, the shining ones, <laughs> angels, commonly walked because it was upon the borders of heaven. In this land also the contract between the bride and the bridegroom was renewed. Here they had no lack of bread or wine, for in this place they met with an abundance of what they had sought during all their pilgrimage. Here they heard voices from outside the city, loud voices proclaiming, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his rewards is with him, or reward is with him. Here all the inhabitants of the country called them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, those sought out. Now, Bunyan continues, as they walked in this land, they rejoiced more than they had in any other part of their journey. And as they came near the celestial city, they could see that it was built of pearls and precious stones and that the streets were paved with gold. The natural glory of this, the, the city and the sunbeams' reflections on it made Christian feel sick with desire. Hopeful also had a few bouts of the same sickness. The sickness was so great that they had to rest from their journey while crying out because of the deep pangs of desire. If ye find my beloved, tell him that I am sick with love. And I'll stop there. Now, according to Bunyan, and I think he's right, that's a description of what it is to truly grow old gracefully, godly, and faithfully. I don't know about you, but that's where I want to be when I get old. I want to be in this country called Beulah with all its sweet and pleasant delights, all the trials and heartaches of youth, but a faded, muted memory. Far from enchanted ground, far from the valley of the shadow of death, far from the victory uh, over giant despair, far from the triumph over Doubting Castle, mixing and mingling with the angels, completely happy, completely satisfied, completely content, rejoicing more than ever before, but sick, as he puts it, sick, sick with desire, sick not being with Christ just yet.
How many elderly people do you know like that? How many elderly people do you know who have heaven in their eyes, grace in their speech, love in their hands, zeal in their ministry? Or do you find some of them critical, contentious, judgmental, complaining, idle, lazy, even worldly? It seems that the they're more closer to hell than they are to heaven. They're supposed to be in Beulah land, but they are far from it. So the question for us is, how do you get there? How do you get to Beulah land? Or, as I said, how do we avoid enchanted ground? How do we avoid a midlife crisis? And Solomon, of course, is our, our case study here. So where did Solomon go wrong? And you say, well, the wives. Blame it on the wives. Blame it on the women. <laughs> but there's something else here. There's something else here. And actually, not only can we learn from Solomon, but we can learn from David. Because David, as a man after God's own heart, but he had some blips on the screen as well, as you know. So I want you to turn over to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 3. And what this says about David, says about Solomon as well. Second Samuel 3. And, and, and I, uh, as we go through this, uh, I, I do have an outline. Um, how, how, how did Solomon mess up? as we just read, how did David mess up in particular when he committed adultery with Bathsheba? Um, the Bible gives us some instructions of what happened. As I said, you just don't fall into it. It just wasn't on top of the roof that night and looked out and, ah, uh, I got in trouble. Uh, there were some things that were precursors to that and Second Samuel is going to tell us, and, and there's actually five of them. You might say five causes uh, of, um, of uh, why he didn't guard his heart. And here's the first one. It comes in verse one, and we'll call this pride. Pride entered his heart, like Solomon, like anybody. Remember, I said this morning, how do you find yourself enchanted ground? Pride, presumption. And you see it there in verse 1. Now, the, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Now, what you have, really, from the beginning of chapter 1, all the way throughout the book, but if you want to make a, a, a stop at chapter 11 is a record of David's defeats and rise to fame. There, there was, in other words, he comes to a place where in his mind there's no more worlds to conquer. I've done it all. And because I've done it all, I, I can rest. And thus, as I said, there's presumption that kicks in. Pride kicks in. And he didn't guard against that. Guard your heart above all else. Don't let anything in. Don't let any... Poison in. And by the way, a, a good commentary on that, I believe, is the garden. Because when the proverb says, guard your heart or keep your heart, that same verb 
is the one that God gave Adam when he said to guard or keep the garden. He put them in, put him in the garden and he said to serve it and keep it. In other words, the garden was what? It was a sanctuary. It was a sanctuary where God and Adam and Eve would, would well, God would come in the cool of the day and there would be communion. There would be worship. It's a holy place, so guard it. Don't let anything in this place that would poison it, so to speak. Did he do a good job of that? No, he didn't guard it at all. Let Satan in and let the temptation in. Let sin in. Well, we don't worship God in a garden. And the Israelites, though they worshiped in a tabernacle and temple, and the priests had that same job of ministering and keeping. But for us as a church or as Christians, rather, um, where, do, where do we commune with God? We commune with God where? Guard your heart. Don't let any poison into the heart. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't let anything in that would uh, interrupt that communion between you and God. And one of the things that ultimately comes in uh, where, that disrupts that is pride. This is what happens to David. There, there was pride, and as you know, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, and that's exactly what happened with David. So the first thing that we can see as a cause of, uh, of their demise, because this goes for Solomon as well as David, is pride. Guard your heart. You're not going to get the beautiful land if there's pride in your heart. Secondly, and I need you to flip over to 2 Samuel 11 for this one. In 2 Samuel 11, in verse 1, uh, we read, It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, and here's the point. David remained at Jerusalem. Why did he remain? Possibly because he was lazy, and that's the second point. First point was pride. Second point is laziness. Maybe boredom, and boredom led to laziness. I mean, you contrast what David did to what it says at the top, where it says, when the kings go out to battle, where was David? He sent Joab. He sent his army. Where was he? He was back at the palace. Where should he have been? He should have been with his people. He should have been with the army. Laziness. Laziness. He had gotten lazy. Now, on the heels of that, he was idle. That's our third cause. He goes from pride to laziness, to idleness. Idleness. Look at verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Listen, idleness will lead to temptations. And because your heart's fully not sound, you're easily prey for that temptation. And that's exactly what happened to David. He went from 
pride, to laziness, to idleness. And you know the rest of the story. Pride drove him to laziness. Laziness led him to idleness. And idleness led him to sinful diversions. That's the paradigm. Nothing new. That happens with all of us. That's the pattern of failure. When we fail, you can retrace the steps from idleness back to laziness. And it began with pride. You know, I couldn't help but think as I was meditating on this, how opposite this was to the life of Christ. Uh, I mean, there are many words that characterize his life, but the two of them that come immediately to mind is humility um, and diligence. I didn't say that this morning, but if there is a, 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 an example of someone who is diligent in the service of the Lord, uh, that was Jesus. He came to do his Father's will. In fact, he said, I came not to be served, but to what? To serve. He also said, work while it is day, for night is coming when no man will work. Paul, believe it or not, says it even a little bit stronger in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. How many of us do that? How many older people do that? Now, give them a break, they might not have the energy, but is that their desire. This is why young people, this, this, this is where we should see you be doing this because you do have the energy and you probably have the time. But the point here is Jesus' life, he was steadfast, he was immovable, he was always abounding in the work of the Lord. If you find yourself not steadfast and and movable and not always abounding in the work of the Lord, do some self-examination and diagnose yourself. And most likely, if you're going to be honest, you're lazy and, and you're idle. And, and, and therefore, there's something wrong with your heart. Maybe weeds have grown in there. Maybe thorns are there choking it up a bit. Maybe you love this world too much. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about working hard and avoiding laziness. Proverbs, in particular, Proverbs 10, verse 5, He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Proverbs 14, 23, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Proverbs 12, 24, The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be be put to forced labor. Proverbs 20:13. Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. Uh, and one more, and I like this one. Listen to this one. This is a. Uh, the, there's imagery of vineyard, but exchange the, the image of the vineyard for the heart. Proverbs 24:30 to 34. I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard, or heart of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and a stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. 
I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and like an armed man. End quote. Everybody getting the point? What happens when one is lazy and idle? Well, the heart gets overgrown with thorns and thistles. The heart is unguarded and temptations come and it comes to you like an armed robber and you're just not going to be able to resist. You're defenseless. As Spurgeon put it, idle Christians are not tempted of the devil so much as they tempt the devil to tempt them. Did you catch that? So uh, we could say this is what happened to David, that's what happened to Solomon, and the lesson for us, as I said, is not to be lazy. Again, tying into what we talked about this morning, don't be lazy, don't be idle. You will pay for it when you get older. Um, You also remember Jesus in the parable of the talents uh, to the one who took his talent and hid it in the ground. What did Jesus say? You wicked and what? Lazy slave. I gave you some talents and you didn't use it. I don't know about you, but when I see Jesus, I I don't want to hear that. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So here's the point. A lazy life and a holy heart, it's a contradiction. A lazy life is not going to produce a holy life. Discipline yourself for godliness. You show me a godly person, I'll show you somebody that's disciplined and not lazy. So if you're serious about holiness, and remember the writer of Hebrews says, without holiness no one will see the Lord. And if you're serious about guarding your heart even into your old age, then, as I said, you're going to have to cultivate some diligence. You're going to have to... Engage in some discipline. And with that, can I say you're going to have to despise laziness. Start start having some, I don't know, hatred. Despising laziness. Otherwise, the idleness you are sowing now will reap great distress and disaster later. Thomas Watson said, Beware of idleness. Satan sows most of his seed in fallow ground. Another Thomas, another Puritan, Thomas Brooks, also commented on laziness. He said, a lazy Christian will always lack four things, comfort, content, confidence, and assurance. Uh, you read Beulah Land, you read how Bunyan describes Beulah Land and how Christian and hopeful are enjoying it. I, I, I I think you need to reflect that they were disciplined. I mean, we read this morning of how quick they got off Beulah land. They, they realized they couldn't be there. Let's talk. Let's, let's, let's talk. And they talked and they talked and talked till the, the fire came back. First Timothy 4.15. Paul's talking to Timothy, but this applies for everybody. And I'm, and I'm reading the New Living Translation again because I love the paraphrase. Timothy, give your complete attention to these matters matters of the ministry. Throw yourself into your task so that everyone will see your progress. I think the 
other translation says, be absorbed in them. Be absorbed in them. Immerse yourself in them. And this is what a, a Christian minister does, but this is what every Christian does. He gives or she gives themselves fully and wholly to the work. They're not idle. They're not lazy. They are busy, steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord wherever it takes them. Listen, this kind of diligence should mark all believers, not just not just the pastors, not just to you know the the quote unquote um, zealous ones. In fact, you'll remember in Ephesians four verse eleven, God gave some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, teachers, and why? Why why did Christ give gifts to the church, such as pastors and teachers and evangelists? Because what do those pastors and teachers do? They open up the Word of God, they explain the text. They apply the text, they exhort from the text, and that is to fall on the ears of the people so that they can hear, they can believe, and they can obey. The equipping of the ministry, which tells you what? Who does the work of the ministry in the church? In a sense, everybody. But in that text, it's you. You. How are you doing in the work of the ministry? Are you immovable, steadfast, always abounding? Are you guarding your heart? I mean, maybe you're here tonight and you wonder why you struggle so much spiritually. Maybe you're wondering why you are discontent, joyless, and unhappy, why you fall into temptation time and time again. Well, perhaps, if we're learning from David and Solomon, it's because there's been a, a paradigm that you've thrown yourself into, which begins with pride in the heart, presumption, and then laziness, and then idleness. The idleness, the idleness has led you to sinful diversions. And maybe you haven't committed adultery. And maybe you haven't married 300 wives. That's turned your heart. But maybe you're full of gossip. Maybe you're full of slander. Maybe you're full of idolatry. Whatever the sin is, it's making you miserable. And so you need to retrace your steps back to, well, guess what? I haven't guarded my heart. Now, by the way, you'll remember, as I said, as, as Solomon in his later years after 1 Kings 11 wrote Ecclesiastes, and in a sense, it, it was a way of saying, don't, don't learn from me. But listen to what I say. Don't, you know, don't do what I do. And, and David, Psalm 51, Psalm 32, I mean, there's penance, right? There's repentance. You don't want to get to that point, however. You don't want to get to that point. You don't want to fall into a midlife crisis. So, again, what we're trying to help you with is begin now to cultivate the gifts and opportunities God has given you. Number your days. You don't know how long you have. Remember, Moses in Psalm 90 says, help us to number our days, which means to be diligent in the here and now. Paul told the Romans, and I think I read for it uh, to you this morning, Romans 12:11, do not lack diligence, but be fervent in spirit, and serve the Lord. You know, every time we come around to Christmas and we read the 
nativity story. Uh, the, the two people that I love hearing about, and, and I think it's only Luke that records it, uh, is, is, is Simeon and Anna. Remember Simeon and Anna? Two old people who served the Lord. In fact, Anna, Anna didn't leave the temple. She was always serving the Lord. Simeon, Luke says, was a devout uh, and was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Anna, it says, was married seven years and then became a widow for the next 84 years, which I guess if you do the math, she was 105 when Jesus came. And Luke says about her, she did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. That's how I want to grow old. That's how you should want to grow old. Never being lazy, working hard, and serving the Lord enthusiastically. How do you get there? Well, the opposite of everything we just said. Learn humility. Learn humility and guard your heart. Now, I've given you three. There's two more. It went from pride to laziness to idleness. Have a look at 2 Samuel 12 for the fourth cause. In 2 Samuel 12 in verse 7, and this is after the whole affair of David and Bathsheba. Nathan comes, right? The prophet of God. In verse 7, and just jump in there, you are the man. Remember there was a little bit of a parable beforehand? What would you do, David? Ah, get that guy. Well, guess what? You're that guy. You are the man. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Verse 8, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. What's David's, uh, Nathan's point here? You ungrateful little twerp. This is the thanks I get. Right? So you can see how it spirals down from pride to laziness to idleness to ungratefulness. Ungratefulness. And then, on the heels of that, number five, just our final cause, we'll call this discontentment. David and Solomon ultimately were discontent. David was unsatisfied with what God had given him, and thus he was ungrateful, unsatisfied, and turned to what? Adultery. Same thing with Solomon. He turns to idolatry, right? So there's a spiraling down. What happens in old age when certain disciplines are not cultivated, when the heart is not continually to be kept with all diligence? Well, mark it. Pride begins to rise. Presumption accompanies it. Laziness sets in. Sinful diversions are attracted. Gratitude is lost. Discontentment is then produced. And then look at verse 9. This is inevitable. Notice Nathan says to David, Why have you despised 
the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. Do I see that in verse 9? That, that word despise is a very important word. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? It's not just a disobedient to the commandment of the Lord. That's obvious. You despise the commandment of the Lord. I, I did a little study on that, and the uh, Hebrew word is uh, bazaar. And I've said this before, not for a while, but just to remind you, bazaar. You can transliterate it, be a, what is so funny? Everybody's laughing here. What's so funny? B-A-Z-A-H, bazaar. You could read it this way. Why have you told the Lord to buzz off? That's how I remember the word, bazaar, to buzz off. I mean, how tragic it must be to get to the point in your old age to tell God to buzz off. And listen, to tell God to buzz off is um, not the beginning of a gradual backslide, but the end. David's adultery and Solomon's idolatry were the fruit of many years of wrong choices. If you want to be happy... When you're old, you want to find yourself in Beulah land, and these are the lessons you need to consider. Let me give you a couple more verses just to think about. Proverbs 16:31. Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained by a righteous life. Did you catch that? Let me say that again. Mark it. Proverbs 16:31. Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained by a righteous life. Psalm 92, which we read earlier, verses 12 through 14, says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish. In the courts of our God, they will still bear fruit. Here it is. In old age, they will stay fresh and green. I trust that's how you want to be described in your old age, and it begins when? It begins now, and it begins where you are guarding and keeping your heart, which, by the way, means you need to examine your heart. Examining it, Paul tells us a number of times, examine whether you're in the faith. Examine your heart. Don't eat and drink unworthily when you come around the Lord's Supper. There's a duty amongst all of us that we need to be examining our heart regularly. A gardening, as it were, Weeding out if necessary, and, and thus examining is a prayerful examining, asking the Lord to show you what needs to be pulled out. Maybe you'll find pride there. Maybe you'll find laziness there. Maybe you'll find idleness, ingratitude, discontentment. And if you do, obviously confess it, repent of it, and ask the Lord to kill it, mortify it. But the bottom line is, if you want to find yourself in Beulah land in your old age, it's now where you begin to discipline yourself for godliness. Father, we thank you for our time this morning, or tonight rather, where we can, uh, on the heels of this morning, have a bit of continuity of what it means to live the Christian life, what it means to get off enchanted ground and head to Beulah land. And I trust that's where we want to go. We don't want to be spiritually lazy. We don't want to find weeds and thorns in our heart. 
we want to grow old gracefully and maturely and godly and holy. Um, so we just pray and ask that you would help us in this endeavor. And we do this in Christ's name. Amen.